You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I am Jay Hall, your host, where we talk about all levels of blackness, and I am here. Got to tell you, I'm holding my excitement with my good sister, friend, H.U. Bison, director, founder of Starting With Today nonprofit organization, Ms. Charlene Anderson. Hi, Charlene. Um, hey, Jay. How are you? Thank you so much. I am equally excited um, and glad to be here, of course. That's what's up. That's what's up. It's always good to see my friend as if we don't talk every other hour of the day. You got right to the autobiography, Jay. You know Just, what I'm saying? Just a few people. I like your change of words, right to the autobiography, instead of when people say, you know where the body is buried. You know, I never was really comfortable with the body is buried thing, you know? <laughs> Just, you know. It's biography. So, yeah, you have right to the biography, for sure. It's like five of y'all. Y'all can fit the whole story together, for sure. And see, and this is why I love you as a person, because you're always challenging not only the narrative, but you challenge the statements that we casually always just kind of say. And Charlotte is that individual in the room to be like, why you got to say that? Like back in like 10 years ago, when people used to be like, oh, that's so gay. Charlotte then used to be like, why they got to be gay? So I'm just letting everyone know before we even start off, Charlotte is that individual that would challenge you. She is who she is outside and inside the crew. So, you know, that's why I'm so excited, you know, to have you. So are you doing good? I'm great. I'm I'm having a really good I'm having a really good July. So it's been uh, you know, a year for sure, but July is going well. So I'm a I'm gonna hold on to that. Having a great day. How about you? I am working through. Mm. That's 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 that resonates so deep. That is I am working through. That is that is what my manifest, you know, statement. That is how and you know me very well. That's close to being as my realism side, but also trying to channel more into the yeah. optimism side. So I am working yeah. through. And thank you very much for asking me. I appreciate that. Let's get into some things real quick. Now, you know, Texas, born and raised, Dallas. And I don't want to mess up the the neighborhood, the hood name. What part of Dallas is it again? It's South Oak Cliff. South Oak Cliff. <laughs> Born and raised. It goes down. <laughs> um, it was a beautiful place to grow up, though, you know. Um, and it has shaped me. You know, I used to, you know, we a lot of times when, once we go to college, we go to Howard, we say, you know, wherever you're from, raised, and then Howard made. But in retrospect, now I feel like everything about South Oak Cliff both raised me and made me um, to who I am today. Yeah, and that's why I brought it up because from multiple conversations I've had with you, you always give so much pride to where you're from. And it's also a small seed that kind of guided you to getting into the nonprofit business. And can you kind of expound on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, 
now I say that I am a third generation, at least that I know, you know, philanthropist, community advocate. Um, my mom did it for sure. My dad has done it for sure. Um, my grandmother did it. She owned a beauty shop in South Oak Cliff. Uh, one of the few black, you know, women to own, um, their own business at that time. Um, she had been married at least two times, maybe more. Um, so she was divorced, you know, in, I'm assuming the, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and had children, raising them, and then also a business owner. And I just remember as a young girl, my mom would go up there and get her hair done, just sitting there, but all these people would come in and, asked her for advice or asked her to pray for them or, you know, just wanted to share and vent. And my grandmother always made time. And then she was also, you know, very big in the church and, you know, helping whomever she can. Um, So there was no formal title or, you know, business around her community advocacy at that time or her community work. But, you know, I, you know, have the pleasure of being with my mom and seeing all that she's done for everybody. You know, uh, our house was a home for family members who were in transition and needed some stability until they got on their feet. Both my mom and my dad did that for their family members. Um, and so now as an adult, like I see all these influences that, that shaped me and, and really define my values and how we take care of each other, especially when we're going through and how important, you know, having a community to lean on is like key to, to pushing through, as you said. That's the wild thing about life. We don't realize it in that moment, what the things that we're experiencing and what they do to prepare us for a future that is not always planned. You know, I mean, you go to Howard, you go to college and to most people in our community, that's enough. You can go one week at college and it's like, boom, you're a hood star. You know, you come out of school yeah, um, <laughs> and, you know, you're living, you live in the real world. And to those who, you know, I know her personally, so I'm guiding you guys through this. You know, you live in this real world, right? When you mentioned your grandmother in particular about how she owned that shop and how it was such a community thing. Was that the first thing that came to your mind when you said, okay, I'm going to start a nonprofit when it came to starting with today? Or was there other things that were going on in your life at that time that make you say, like, nonprofit is where I'm going? Yeah, it's so weird. So many things, I think, um, help shape that. One of the things, um, I went to school because I was really good in math and science to be, I thought, an anesthesiologist. I thought that was going to do be a doctor. And that's just what I was told that <laughs> that was going to be my life at, right? Um, I still love math. I still love science. Um, but I hadn't seen like engineers or people who have hybrid careers or um, all of that until I got to Howard. And it seemed so far out of reach for me at the time. But anyway, I'm on this path. I'm taking these chemistry courses, barely passing, completely 1000% uninterested in doing all the studying that happens in the Valley. And I felt like I was wasting away like my college experience, like actually get to know people, <laughs> like have these social engagements, right? That was kind of key to my my uh, social, um, my academic. It was as important to me as the academic work. So I end up, and I don't even know how this happened. Maybe my mom suggested it. I went to the Career Development Center and 
um, the lady there, Dr. Joan Brown, God bless her. So she uh, literally changed my life. Um, we did a lot of assessment tests, um, you know, definitely the Maya Briggs, but a series of tests and conversations. And she was like, I don't think, I don't think chemistry interests you. <laughs> like, I don't think it's your lack of focus. That's the problem. I think it's just not what you're supposed to be doing. And she said, it doesn't align with your values. She said, well, why don't you take a, you know, a course or two in psychology to this semester? This is the semester I'm supposed to be graduating. Man. <laughs> 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 like just throw the money everywhere you know just you throw away <laughs> make believe money. so she's like take a class take a couple classes and see how it goes because i wasn't on i wasn't on time anyway so she, i took the classes not only did i make a's in those classes i made a's and b's across the board before i was not doing that so i was so interested in these classes that it helped me do well in all my classes and then i was like i'm hooked and so i just you know powered through and i really fell in love with with black psychology even with that though i didn't think i was gonna start a profit i didn't think that would be um the key I worked in, um, I went to corporate, you know, immediately um, after after college. Um, I did well. Um, I learned a lot about business and business development during that time. And then life happened, right? I ended up getting pregnant um, and I ended up losing my baby at 36 weeks. And I was in D.C. And it was such a transformative period. And... And two days afterwards, I was in D.C., my parents were here, and I was like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to move. <laughs> I want to go back with y'all. Y'all leaving on Saturday. We're all leaving on Saturday. So we packed up the entire apartment and four days moved. And in that time, in that period of grief and, like, being able to, like, really have time to hear my own thoughts for the first time in a while. Because, you know, if you're in D.C., especially, you know, college, post-college, working, you don't really, you're moving from one thing to another, work, to happy hour, to party, to to getting home at 3 o'clock, to doing it all over again, right? And so for the first time in a while, I heard, you know, my own spirit, and it was really clear about I'm going to start this organization to help people work through mental health challenges in a really authentic way um, and, and and have like this really culturally sound support. So some years later, it happened. It didn't happen, of course, all at once. But during that time, I really began to kind of see things beyond what was my current reality. Um, and then I stayed in Dallas for 18 months and healed in family and love. It was everything I needed. And then in January of 2010, during Snowmageddon, right before Snowmageddon, <laughs> um, <laughs> my friend Jamila flew down to Dallas and we drove back behind the first wave of snow back from Dallas to D.C. And all I had was everything that fitted in my little Acura coupe. And I started all over from scratch. Uh, I knew so, then I was going to start a nonprofit. Actually. So let's 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 let me let me let me like let's park the car for a second, because I remember Snowmageddon. I almost got traumatized. You know, remember it's Snowmageddon, you know, when it, and for me, being growing up in Michigan, when Snowmageddon came, I was like, oh, this is nothing. Oh, it was something. And the mental strain it put on a lot of people during that period of time, and you had already mentioned, and thank you for sharing your story, what you were going through personally, but yet you still was 
persistent about going from Texas back to D.C.? What was it about D.C. to say, like, okay, you got the idea. I'm about to start this nonprofit. What was it about D.C. that made you feel like you had to start it there, though, instead of saying I could have just started it in Texas, where I'm from? That's a great question. And I heard I was watching an interview recently and Jay-Z was talking about the power of place. You know what I'm saying? Like the power of place. And I think this is a conversation you and I have had several times. And how fertile the grounds in D.C. are for Black people to start something that may not exist yet. And in Dallas, for me, I had not seen what I was being instructed in my soul to create. And when I was trying to articulate it to people they said that I'm not Oprah Winfrey, you know, like I, I'm going to wow. do that. Those were exact words. Like, uh, and so I was hit with so much. And now, I mean, probably then I would say criticism, but now I realized it was other people's fears, right? That it was so discouraging. Um, but when I talked to a couple people, so I was coming back and forth, of course, for like homecomings and weddings and all that. So I talked to a couple people who were very instrumental, both were Howard graduates. One was Anthony Farrell. Um, Anthony was like, I would say, I'm just going to start with this, you know, resume so people can get better jobs and, you know, really learn how to sell themselves, like sell their skill sets, you know, uh, to get better jobs. and. And I was like, then I want to have this part where like we're teaching, like, you know, really all the conversations we have around money at happy hours. Like I want people to be able to have access to that too. And then I want to have this mental health component. And he was like, no, just start with the whole thing. Start with everything, put everything you want it to be out, write it down, make it as big as you could think it could be. And then the right people will come and you can build it out. But nobody wants to start with anything small. It's really hard to kind of keep piecemealing this thing versus like starting very big. So that was one thing. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna start this really big vision. Like it's going to be three pillars. We're going to do, you know, all this work uh, that really like, you know, brings information to people who I grew up with in South Oak Cliff that, that remind me of people I grew up with in South Oak Cliff that are just as intelligent, just as beautiful, just as bright, but have not been um, afforded the same access that I was afforded. And then the second piece was I was um, at a brunch with my girl, Quisha, Quisha Bradley. And uh, she had been in the nonprofit industry for years at that time. She was very focused. You know, some people come to college, they know exactly what they're going to do. They get in, they get out and boom, <laughs> they intern while they there. They, you know, they on the hill, they doing, they doing all these things, right? I was doing none of that. Uh, so Quisha already had like 10 years experience and she was like, man, there's so many nonprofits in DC. Um, it's really hard to like, get into the positive, you know, get into the black uh, financially with nonprofits. You need about three years, you know, of data and experience uh, before people begin to like really give you money. And so I was like, cool. She's like, but if you're going to get started, you got to get started today. Like start looking up what you need to to do. And that's how we, we got our name. And I, I felt it, it resonated both with the work that I wanted to do, but also along with the personal um, path that I was on um, at that moment, for sure. That's so crazy because people say you wasn't Oprah Winfrey, but yet, by the way, I haven't heard no one say Oprah's first and last name in a very long time. She's been Oprah for like 20 years. 
<laughs> indeed, indeed. It's indeed. it's 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 amazing that people told you you wasn't Oprah, but when your friend said you need to start with today, that kind of became your aha moment that Oprah always mentioned. And at the time, I'm, I'm gathering, I'm gathering that you're you're working a job because you mentioned you was doing corporate, you know, and things of that nature. That transition from working your regular nine to five to actually doing this the actual organization. How long would you say that process was and what was that like for you? Okay, that's a great question. And I went full time August 9th, 2019. So we're coming up on three years now. I moved back to DC (laughs) January 2010. And then I slowly but surely saved up to like get the trade name, begin to file the paperwork. I reached out to my old roommate at Howard, uh, Patrice Clark. Uh, My Tracy is what I call her, belovedly. Uh, She had finished law school. And I was like, I want to start this this business. She was the first one that's like, I'll help. And not saying like, you can do it. She said, I'll help. Like, and that was my first board member. Um, So that may have been 2011, 2012. And then the next phase was like, beginning to like create curriculum and um, build out the programs. I had two managers at the time where I was working at a local government. At this time, I knew I was going to be a nonprofit. So when I came to D.C., I knew I wanted to be in, you know, NGOs, local government to kind of really do some training, you know, some on the ground learning. Um, so my jobs were very intentional. Um, in Dallas, I ended up working for Big Brothers Big Sisters for a while. And then here working for a local city government and then transitioning to um, a county, another government, uh, local, regional organization. And I use every job as learning. And and even with my last job that I worked with, that I went into it, you know, I told them during the interview, I didn't plan on being there more than three to five years. And if I was there five years, I like, I failed. I was, I, I, I failed. <laughs> like I have messed up. Um, and, you know, I came in there very specific about the goals that I had, you know, it was not a secret. And I absorbed as much as I can as from the local city government, the budget was about 2 million to this regional organization. The budget is about a hundred million. And so what pieces are in place at that time? How does it take to run um, a large organization um, was always the focus for me. And then once I, I didn't even, which, you know, there are different people who will say, you know, definitely have this much saved, have this much, you know, together. I just knew when it was time, you know, I just really felt everything get uncomfortable. And so I left. And then things began to to smooth out almost effortlessly once I had committed to leaving even before I left. Um, but all that to say, like even moving back into D.C. in January 2010, I didn't launch starting with today until uh, January 23rd, <laughs> uh, 2014. And we had it at a happy hour. You were there. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Even with that, I think it was still some fear about getting started or feeling if I was, you know, I kept still hearing this voice of like who I wasn't. You know, I'm not Oprah. Where do I get this audacity from? 
And I think it took me a while to really find my footing. But after we had our first partnership with Prince George's County Library System and the director there at the time, Victoria, uh, she was like, oh, this is special. You can like you can do all all our programs in my region. I think I began to have the confidence. And then over that time, it's just really been working slowly but surely. Uh, pulling together. So it took a while is what I'm trying to say. It took <laughs> it took a while to get to the point where, you know, I was doing starting with today full time. A couple of things contributed to that though, you know, when we begin to expand programs and then as we were expanding programs, the work for starting with today began to eclipse the work that I was doing at work. And I, I really went to my manager and my leaders at that time. It's like I've learned all I can learn here, you know. I've learned everything top to bottom for this organization. I'm not being challenged anymore. My time here is done. So I left a little before uh, my third anniversary. That is amazing to hear. And the reason why I wanted to channel on that, because oftentimes we don't have conversations about the actual transition people make, especially in the social media era. People are always advertising the final product or what's alleged to be like the final product. Mm. And so talking about that transition that you made, I felt like we know it's important. And so now we got to start with today. So let's let's get into some programs and let's get into the program that I know I'm involved with is the Shape Up. So can you you know talk about the Shape Up? Indeed. Yeah, so the Shape Up is a program and that brings a Black therapist to the Black barbershop. Um, and we do that monthly at Lee's Barbershop in Southeast D.C. We're back live in person uh, just recently since the pandemic where we feel like we can mask up and do it you know, safely as possible, um, but still be back in community, which is uh, key for us. And yeah, so we bring Black licensed Black therapists, professionals, um, and community leaders to, to lead these conversations um, in partnership with, with the barbers and with the owner, Dr. Lee. So shout out to Dr. Lee uh, for seeing the vision, for believing and investing us the way he has. Um, and his son, Aaron, for sure, for for the first person I talked to was like, yeah, we can do this. Because <laughs> I had went to other barbershops and they were just like, oh, no, no, no. And they was like, yeah, I, I believe it. I can see it. So I really appreciate them being, you know, visionaries as well. Yeah, it's really amazing. So we we do a lot of programming around, of course, mental health and centering Black men and their stories and really having this intergenerational space. And I say also interclass conversation, right? So it's more than one class there. It's more than one generation there. Um, Lee's Barbershop is a unisex barbershop, but it's still very male dominant. So really having these real conversations, unfiltered uh, no script, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A uh, very, very much Southeast DC conversations that remind me very much of South Oak Cliff and why it feels so much like home. So we talk from everything from enthusiastic consent, sexual consent to emotional um, literacy and IQ and intelligence to trauma, you know, to grief the last session before the pandemic was after their sudden tragic passing of Kobe Bryant and it was on grief in the state planning. So to make sure our community has those tools needed to 
both navigate because Kobe, Kobe's death brought up so much out of our community at large, but definitely for black men uh, where you hadn't seen that many black men emote that publicly, um, more in that publicly um, in a very long time. And so I thought it was really important for us to have like a space to, to really honor and grieve um, and get some tools around that. Um, and then the pandemic hit. So then we moved online to Instagram Live and we continued to have conversations around uh, careers in COVID and vaccines and um, taking care of yourself and health and wellness. And um, you led one on um, men, Black men and vulnerability, we talked about toxic masculinity. So all these uh, t- topics that are you know, both good, good, bad, and ugly. That the conversations that are important to have for sure. Now, the barbershop, even though Dr. Lee's barbershop is a unisex barbershop, but the barbershop is known within our community as being the the headquarters of black men. What was it for you, being a black Absolutely. woman, to say I'm going to go there? Why? I think subconsciously i knew that i could have some space to shape it the way it needed to be shaped no pun on the, the shape up this time but um you know i've been in in barbershops before right and there's always typically this hush when i walk in this like you know, mumbles under your breath, like, um, I immediately feel all eyes on me, like, not in a, in a, in a welcoming way. Like, um, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 Ooh, I, he, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Guilty. Yeah, so. So when, um, but when you walk into Lee's, it's not that, right? It's very, just not that. It's very, you walking into your, your grandparents' home, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or your, your mom's friend's house. That's what it feels like for me. It reminds me so much of different people's, um, homes I've been in 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 Dallas and that was just you know you go through the side gate you know nobody knocked on the front door it's like the side gates open you knock on the back door um so yeah that's how that's how I felt um and I I don't know it's just it felt led you know I I uh just wanted to get in a room with someone who believed in me and like what I was saying resonated and they just got it without, I didn't need a presentation. Like I didn't need like a five point plan. I didn't need to email them later. Like none of that. Um, they just got it. And I think from there on, we built this really beautiful thing together, very intentionally together. Um, and so I think, you know, it was just some things I think are planned and then some things I think are a combination of planning. It's really just walking divinely and what you're supposed to be doing and being led to the right person. I think that's what happened with this program. I agree. And I, you know, anybody that's in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, I invite them to come to Dr. Lee's and make sure you go to starting with today's IG. It gives you the updates 
every monthly when it's on there. And shout out to everybody that participates in it. It is unpredictable, but the way the conversations are navigated and what it's grown to be, it, I have all the love for it. I even look forward to it. Um, let's look move forward to the next program that I know that is real important to you because this one is something that even caught me off guard. It was on my timeline and it's called My Hair Appointment. Now break that down mm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as we begin talking about uh, Black men having a space, and you know, the thing about me prioritizing Black men's mental health um, is because Black men are more successful at uh, suicide attempts than Black women are. Black men are less le- less likely to actually seek professional mental health care. Um, black men are less likely to have a, a Black man or even a Black person available to them to provide mental health services. So I knew from the gate, if we're going to start in our community, it needed to be for Black men. But I also knew eventually we needed the space for Black women, Black women with the X, to really have some dialogue and not necessarily the same dialogue that's happening in the barbershop. Uh, because I think, not I think, Black women are statistically more likely to seek mental health services. Uh, Black women statistically um uh, so, so, I can't say it. Anyway, black women have okay. more. Um, <laughs> black women have more uh, support systems in place than black men. So they have their work friends. They have their uh, girlfriends. They have their church, and they have all these um, community supports that they lean on more. So than Black men um, haven't studied to have. And they are also more vulnerable in these spaces, right? So the only really mission of my hair appointment was to really get the he say, she say stuff out of it and really provide vetted, um, accurate information to house these conversations that we're already having in our personal spaces. For example, we've done um, a couple on Black maternal health and and um, around Black women having to advocate for themselves. So these are conversations Black women have amongst ourselves about our experiences with the doctor, our experiences with you know um, having babies and losing babies and. Um, having rainbow children and what that what that process is like. Um, and so really be beginning to provide information that say, A, you're not the only one. B, here's the, the science and the data behind, behind it. And then here are some tools and some information you can use to begin to advocate and share with yourselves, with your communities, uh, with your friends and loved ones. So those are the conversations that we've had, we've had um, from everything from uh, reclaiming African traditions and our heritage and our stories, everything from actual hair processes and healing and cultural uh, processes that we've 
we've carried, but we haven't named. So there's things that we do in the black beauty shop or, you know, at our cousin's house doing our hair or, you know, how we wake up on Sunday and clean the house and sing and go to church and how those things are ritual. They're just unnamed. Um, And then also, you know, reclaiming pleasure, black women being able to reclaim their pleasure in their spaces and not just being a vessel for, for sacrifice or for pain and for giving and not necessarily receiving what they need to receive to be in their own space. So it's really just a conversation, a a space. Again, we bring in experts of the industry, doctors, PhDs, therapists, and have these really honest conversations about our experiences as Black women and then how we can heal in our spaces and learn in our spaces and then take that back to our, our more intimate, you know, conversations that we're having in our community. So when I think about the shape up and when I think about my hair appointment, the one thing that I love about it is that if a woman is in the presence of the shape up at the shop, there's some things and tools and words that she can hear of assisting black men. And when I watch my hair appointment on IG live, there are gems, jewels, all types of knowledge I get on how I can be better for Black women, how I can assist Black women. When I think about that combination, it leads me to your next part of your programming that I know is significant for you, and that's the power of community. Can you respond on that a little bit? Absolutely. And I think that is our our sixth man, right? That is, that's the thing that makes starting with today, starting with today. It makes people drive Uber from, you know, Bethesda down to Southeast. It is the thing that people clear their schedule for it to come for. So, I mean, conversation is is important, right? The knowledge shared is important. But how you feel after you leave or starting with today's space is the most important thing to me as the founder and as the program um, designer. And that's always at the forefront of my mind when I am designing a program. How do I want people to feel? And it is back to those experiences that I witnessed as a child, right? You know, there were some places that you may have begrudgingly didn't want to go, but after you left, you know, you felt you were fed, you felt uh, loved, you felt like you had enough energy to go through the day. You might have had a good nap there. You know, I had some some older elders in the community. I used to have the best sleep on their couch in um I just think about how safe I felt there and how I felt like I didn't need to wear any other hats other than be myself. And so those are the things that I think, you know, drive community, drive um, our programming and drive fellowship, not just that beyond me. Right. So people have relationships and networking beyond that maybe would have never been in the same room before, Um, that people found a way back to community even as their careers are accelerating Um, and have these exchanges that we used to have before we begin to move out of our communities, you know, with our our parents' generations once they start doing well. And I think that's really important that we begin to really be more intentional in making sure that, 
we close the gap of information, of access, of tools, and really be intentional in connecting with people who have strengths and light and possibilities and maybe just need, you know, one yet away from like a significant win. And we all benefit from that. I learned so much from um, the people I have a pleasure to work with in the community and serve in community uh, from our parents um, that we do parent engagement programs with um, to the barbers to, you know, it's always it's always at the barbershop, at least one or two people who are going to drop some gems or some bombs are going to be like, it shifts your whole perspective. It shifts your whole perspective and those kind of kind of things you can't plan for. But then at that point, the person with the microphone is now the teacher, right? And we're the students and how we begin to really go back to this community um, that, you know, is African tradition. It is it is black <laughs> tradition. It is ancestral tradition. And we've gotten so far away from that with adopting this very individualistic mindset in this American culture that just pushes, you know, individual wins over community wins. And I believe that there is a, a different way, a better way um, that can include all of us, you know, really having the the tools and the resources that we need to to thrive. That's amazing. Now, you you, you dropped a lot of things in there. And be, before we get you out of here, I got to bring this up because you you kind of mentioned it throughout, you know, the conversation. And I know working with starting with today, how important mental health is to you, the organization. And we've had several conversations about that. Um, there was an IG, and I'm not sure if it was my hair appointment. Please forgive me. When you had the licensed therapist, I think her name is Kalisha Smith. And you were talking about mm-hmm. suicide in the Black community. And that was such a like learning space for me to like be engaged in that. And I remember she had said the quote, acceptance is a continuum. You know, that was something that she had dropped in there. That is still a very much so challenging space to go in when you talk about black folk and talking about taking, you know, us taking our own life. That is still a very challenging area, you know, and you've done it more than once. Why have you felt it's been important to make it not just a conversation, but to make a program about it and actually provide options about it? Absolutely. That's a great question. And I think my gifts as a leader is to observe what's happening in our community, observe what's being highlighted, right? Of course, that's easy to grab to and follow trends. But also, what are we being silent about? What are we not discussing? What are we carrying that we feel like we're alone in carrying? And the conversations, especially since the pandemic around suicide, both the public ones that we've known about and the ones that may be just on a, you know, family or friend level, community level. We got to begin having these conversations, no matter how uh, challenging they may be, to really begin to give people some tools of what uh, may be life-saving information, right? Um, And 
one of the things that Kalisha uh, talked about, she's a licensed social worker, um, therapist, amazing. Um, and I really advising that's on YouTube, <laughs> like just search uh, starting with today on YouTube and you'll see that um, one on suicide in the black community because Kalisha did such a great job of explaining you know, one of the key ways to deter suicide is community, right? If we are in community, typically, you know, the the ideas of, of suicide, and we'll do a disclaimer, hopefully before, you know, this needs to air, but our, our isolation. So how do we unisolate ourselves? And then also, too, when we think about our personal problems, right, that are magnified in isolation, right? So if I'm having to do a thousand things on my own, of course, I'm anxious. Of course, I can't sleep at night. Of course, that leads to depression. Of course, right? Because we're not designed to to live um, in isolation. We're not an island. You know, we are definitely designed to be in community and to share the chores and the duty of humanity, of, of this human experience with others and pick up the slack for others. Um, so those are, those are uh, conversations and then as much as we like to think that we are, as Black people, beginning to have these conversations about mental health, it's really only happening at scale with middle-class Black people, right? People who have access to insurance that pays for therapy or can pay for therapists out of pocket. It's not happening in, and I am strategically need to say, communities that have been... Um, designed to be low income, right? Like nobody signs up and say, hey, I want to be low income. Like there are systems in place that create these very low income, (laughs) right? (laughs) These low income, (laughs) right? These low income communities. Because a lot of times I think we put the fault on the people. Say, Oh, well, you you have, well, well, no, this, this is a system that is working as planned. But, you know, then you have to take off to, go to work if you have a therapist, right? And then you have to pay to get on a bus and get there. And then you have to pay for childcare. And then you may have to pay, you know, out of pocket for a therapist. It's really not feasible. So how do we really bring in these these methods to really hack the system, right? So let's cut the red tape. And that's really what starting with today's approach to mental health is like really cutting the red tape, the bureaucracy of it, the having to search through um, hundreds of therapists to find one, hopefully they black, you know, um, to at least have a, a launching pad. And I, I believe one-on-one therapy is very important as well. But I also believe community therapy is a great, great resource in a great introduction to therapy if you don't have any other introduction to therapy. And I think it's a way that we need to continue to de-stigmatize it and really just make it part of our culture um, as much and not just the fancy, <laughs> the good part, because everybody likes to have these affirmations and we're manifesting and everything's great. And, uh, you know, but like, really, how do you deal with challenges? How do you overcome challenges and how do you create a path better for not just us, because we're trying to undo you know, and possibly 400 years worth of trauma in one generation. So that's a huge load to carry. And I don't think it's our responsibility to undo, you know, all this trauma 
that we incurred. And also, the, of course, we also incurred all this resilience and love and traditions and community. Um, but I do think it's important for us to take the step forward for the next generations and generations to follow and to really provide language. I think one of the things for me is like really giving people language to describe what they're feeling. I think being able to name something um, and is really key. One of the best shape of I can like stuck with me the most is the emotional intelligence one. And it has a will about, of course, all these emotions. And I realized like in my interpersonal relationships, I would go from like, cool to anger versus like there there are things between that like oh I'm disappointed oh my feelings are hurt oh I um had you know expectation and you know just saying that's the intermediate between me getting angry and so if I can get there with the language and be brave in that, that language then I don't need to get angry you know what I'm saying I can if I feel hurt here then I don't need to jump to anger. Um, so those are some of the, the things that I think continue to push me and to, to continue to push this work and this mission forward. That's amazing. It is. And, you know, I'm so, as a friend, I am so proud of the work starting with today has been doing. And I still feel like it is at the starting line. It's so much work that's, you know, it's yeah. going to be done and things of that nature. And I'm just so glad to have a front row seat to it because that is what it's all about. It is nothing wrong with addressing those things that we are always talking about, but we do have to have a balance of the issues and the conversations that nobody really wants, you know, the whispers in our community that we kind of just don't want to address. And I think that's very important, you know, also too, you know, we didn't get a chance to touch on in this conversation because, you know, anytime you on this show, we, we want you to come back, but also, you know, starting with today and how it helps with people when it comes to resumes, how it helps with people when it comes to employment, you know, is knee deep in the community. And so I, you know, advocate for anyone who's hearing us in this conversation to make sure you go to starting with today, you know, website, make sure you go to his IG page because there's always gems that are being dropped. We just touched on those things that, you know, the, the programs that we've been highlighting because if me and Charlotte, we can go on for hours. We don't have time because we got bills to pay. But <laughs> I, I do uh, want to thank you for coming on and thank you for, you know, sharing your personal story and how these things intertwine with one another because as, you know, as Black folk, when we start something and we create something, it's that personal story because we're natural storytellers. And so I just wanted to share your story and I I, I definitely appreciate it. Um, Charlotte, before you go, what can we look forward to with starting with today? What do you advocate for? What is something that you, how can we help you as a community, help the organization? What's something we need to keep our eye on and we can assist? Absolutely. There it's so much happening uh, over the fall. One, we're doing a community outdoor wellness event, part two. Um, so that's going to be happening uh, this fall of 2022. So again, stay tuned to starting with today's Instagram. It has the latest information, the most up-to-date information. Um, and then also we are launching quite a few products that are in the final stages that I'm excited to share uh, shortly with us. So again, stay tuned to Instagram, to our website, as we begin to really expand our brand very intentionally and thoughtfully. You can also always um, hit us up. We like to do talent-based volunteering. So that means if you have a particular skill set or skills you are seeking to hone, 
Starting with today is a great place for you to come volunteer with us and to work on those skill sets. And we greatly appreciate that as well. And then, of course, you can donate. Um, and the information is on startingwithtoday.org. And you can give monthly, just like you would like Netflix, starting with today and chill. Um, and that really helps us plan our programming, forecast our uh, cash flow, and really helps us be a more sustainable uh, organization. And one of the things I really love about um, us as well is that you know, the people we pay is black too. So um, all our facilitators are black and we're recycling that money back into, you know, our community and to our ecosystem, which is, I think, key um, to making sure that we are um, doing our, co- our collective community work as well. Okay. Just give us all of the platforms one more time before you go, please. Absolutely. So you can uh, follow us on starting with today at on Instagram. All right. So you can find Starting With Today at Starting With Today on all platforms except for Twitter, where we're starting W today. And you can go to startingwithtoday.org for all the latest information to donate, to learn how to volunteer and to get involved with the work that we're doing. Yeah, and I also encourage everybody to go to starting with today's um, soundtrack that's on um, Spotify. We did a soundtrack for the Shape Up because we all about vibes, and rhythm, and music also, too. Uh, Charlotte, this has been wonderful. I so appreciate you, man. You've been such a great sister to me and just a great you know companion. But the love that you give to the world and to the community is something that I think we are just now starting to see. And so when you blow up, I want everybody to track your roots right here. That you know what I'm saying. And and also too, feel free to come back when you have something in particular that you want us, you know, the door is always open that you want us to kind of, you know, smile on any kind of program that we can do to help you, because that's what we all about. I'm Jay Hall. As usual, you can follow me on all of my social media platforms at Jay Hall Society. This conversation has been uplifting. It's been everything. I hope you learned something. As usual, if you want to get at me, get at me through those social media platforms. Be blessful and successful. This is the History of Being Black podcast, and we go. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production.